Are you thinking about locking up your money for a period of time? Does it pay more? We're going to talk about that on today's episode. From the streets of San Antonio, straight to your wallet, it's Jake's Two Cents on Jake of All Trades. All right, welcome back. And um, Jake, what do you mean lock up my money? I don't want to lock up my money and put it in jail. That what? money's going to prison, yo. Going to prison? Doing <laughs> some times, hitting some rocks. Yeah. Prison Mike with the Dementors. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The How are you the only person on Harry the planet? Potter? No, the the Office, man. You're the only person on the planet who hasn't watched The Office. I do watch it. I just haven't seen every episode. You're the only person who's not obsessed with The Office. I guess. <laughs> but there's a there's a character, Prison Mike. It's Prison Mike. It's the most oh. ridiculous thing in the world. Anyway, oh. Everyone else will get it. You won't. Okay. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> I hope everyone. But don't. Likes. I don't want to put my money in jail with Prison Mike and the Dementors. All right. Right. So, so what, why do I have to do this? I don't mean literally lock it up. Uh, I mean the restriction of money. So uh, today I ran across an article on theeconomist.com, and it was extremely technical. So you can put it up there on the screen if you want. But the the really the the meat of the article is talking about something that's called an illiquidity premium. So we've talked about liquidity on the show before, which essentially is how quickly can I turn something into cash? And so this article is talking about when you purchase investments or you buy assets that are not readily available to turn into cash, you should be compensated for that because you're taking more risk by essentially locking up your money for a period of time. And so the article is talking about, okay, what is that differential and is it worth it? And so I thought about today's uh, episode, we should really talk about, take a step back away from the return rate of return conversation and talk more about what the risks are behind investing in stuff like this. Yeah. And so just so we're clear, what we're ta- what you're talking about here is like a hundred percent liquid thing is cash. That's the most liquid thing there is. And something that's like v- like two percent liquid is like the hope diamond uh st- that that you stole <laughs> the stolen hope diamond <laughs> so it's not just the hope diamond which is hard enough to sell but it's stolen then so you have to f- do the black market you have to deal with a fence and you have to find someone you know that person has to do it and then you have to kill them because they're trying to kill you so it's a very difficult situation to sell yeah. the you know and then everyone dies in the end of the movie but you're trying to sell the stolen hope. That's the most illiquid thing you can find or right. like a stolen exotic tiger or something like that. <laughs> you're trying to, that's probably pretty illiquid. Exactly. Right? It's, it's hard to turn into cash basically. Right. So that's I think you've got the bands, correct. Yeah. Uh, cash <laughs> and then a stolen artifact or a stolen yeah. something. Uh, we're talking about somewhere a little more in between a little more this. realistic. Yeah, a little more realistic. So (laughs) there are investments out there. Uh, Common ones are in real estate. I've seen a lot of real estate investment trusts. REITs is the abbreviation for it. And those types of programs are issued by some company. And what they do is they have specific times during the year that they can have investors buy into the program. And I thought this as, as new as young people that watch the show 
they're thinking about investing, this is really an, an important thing to be aware of because it's very common for you to incorporate illiquid investments into your portfolio, like a real estate position or something. Um, and it used to be that there's there was a lot of restrictions as far as uh, your net worth over the last three years, how much money you had for you to be able to invest in some of this stuff. But they are, I mean, more and more people are creating investment opportunities, partnerships that you can put money into, but they're going to leave it locked up for a period of time with the idea that I can use your money to make a lot more risky investments of my own, right? If you're in a real estate partnership, you've gathered all this money from investors. Now you can go plug it into a shopping center, fill up the shopping center. That's the hope, right? But the risk there, if you're one of those investors, is that you're not going to be able to get your money out for a few years. And so being conscientious about how much you put into these investments is really important. And it's also very important to understand at the beginning, okay, what are the liquidity options for this? Are you going to have a quarterly payment where I get money out of it? Are you going to allow me to sell out of my holdings at some point in the year? Making sure you understand all of those before you start investing in a program like this is really important. I feel like, um, I feel like illiquid things has a really high chance of being um, illegitimate or like a Ponzi scheme, like because of TV and movies. Cause I keep thinking of all these real estate developers who like, you know, I was just watching a show that was on in the early 2000s called Veronica Mars. And this guy, this real estate de developer guy comes in and he sells like the teachers and all the locals on this brand new development. And you just have to put in a little percentage of it and look, how I've been going up and it's going up and up. And then it turns out that they're all just crap properties that, you know, he's just basically cycling into something else and then he's just going to ditch. Right. And it's part of the plan. Basically you're just trying to take the money and run with it basically. And it's right. all just paper chasing each other. And so the point is, it seems like it, part of the requirement is that, you know, you can't just pull this money out. Like you have to leave it in cause we're doing real estate development. That's going to be like a five year process. So within that time, you can't have access to your money. Right? Exactly. That's the problem. And you, you illustrated one of the greatest risks right there. I mean, this is exactly how Ponzi schemes are born because you can't create a, I mean, I can't say you can't, but it's much more difficult to create a Ponzi scheme scenario when you're just uh, investing in mutual funds or individual stocks and bonds, things that are regularly traded across the open market on a daily basis. Yeah it's virtually impossible for you to create a Ponzi scheme out of that because you know exactly where the money is and you know that there is an open market that's willing and ready to buy any of those securities when you're ready to sell them. If it's one of these illiquid investments, that liquid, that market, available market of buyers doesn't exist. So they, it only exists at the time period in which the investment company or uh, whatever it is, the vehicle that you're holding, the investment vehicle that you're holding becomes liquid, has a liquidity event is what they call it. So that now you have 30 days to decide if you want to sell back your uh, holdings to the original company, or there's a secondary market that somebody might like to buy it, but that doesn't happen all the time. And yeah. so born Ponzi scheme, right? They take your money and they just never give it back. And that's happened before. I mean, that's really, that's happened. Is that what uh, Bernie Madoff did? Say again. Is that what Bernie Madoff did? 
exactly what Bernie made. Oh, did. is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Only his was like Way on a bigger. scale. Yeah. Unfathomable. Yeah. Yeah. But it does. I mean, he would take, uh, retirees money if they had retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks, yeah. and they were using that, you know, as a source of living expenses to draw from in retirement, he would convince them to put them into some type of limited partnership investment. And there wasn't a lot of clarity around what exactly it was that he was buying with this investment, but it turns out he wasn't buying anything. He was just using the deposits to pay off the other investors to keep himself out of trouble, but eventually it runs out. So being really cautious about that, I mean, that's a, while that doesn't happen all the time, making sure that the investment program that you are electing to participate in really does seem legitimate. I mean, there's lots of oversight, but there's also not a lot of oversight when it comes to these illiquid investment opportunities. Because well, theoretically, anybody can create some type of an investment. They don't have to be governed by the Securities and Exchange Commission in order to solicit funds for an investment. Yeah. Well, and to be fair, Bernie Madoff was investigated and they didn't find anything. So the, the SEC can fail. The, the, oh, the yeah. SEC was there the whole time. It's, you know, and they were looking at other people, but they didn't look at Bernie. He was able to trick them. So the SEC isn't foolproof. And that's one thing you have to, you have to look out for yourself. Um, right. But that's kind of getting a little off the, t- off the rail. Like the article itself that we, I was just showing is, you know, that we're talking about is about the premium that you can buy and the value of it. We're, we're talking a lot about the negatives. There are some positives, of course, to, um, to, to illiquid things. Like one of the articles I was showing to you as an option to do a show about was this interesting way of investing that people do where they're able now to invest a portion or buy, you know, buy a portion of some exotic piece of art or a car that they would normally never be able to afford. Right. So what, like some rare mint condition, 1994 Mustang was one of the examples that you wouldn't be able to, you may not be able to afford to buy the thing itself, but you could buy a portion of it. Oh, okay. So it's almost like a partnership or like a, a reach, yeah, almost. like a partnership yeah, that's a partnership. formed to acquire one highly valued asset. Yeah. I mean, think about like going to go up in value. Yeah. Like th- think about even like a two and a half million dollar piece of art. Right. right. Like yeah. You that's, to, then you're, it allows for more people to get access to something like that than normally would because it's so expensive. Yeah. So that was only the Uber rich could do that. But now, you know, a hundred of us can put together a portion of the money and we can actually own a portion of it. Of course, none of us get to take it home. It has to stay in some specially preserved place. Right. Um, you know, overseen by other people and its own insurance and all that and so on and so forth. But still, like you own a portion of it. And so if for whatever reason, you know, the price would go up in 10 years, you and and th- this is the other thing is like, I, I would assume you'd have to be able to get out at some point because otherwise the market is really small, right? Like it's only other people who are interested in owning a portion of a car. Like a, something like right, that, right? Right, Or you sell it back to the investors that already have the other portions, portions of the car. Yeah, so somebody, you know, at the end of their life, they accumulate each portion and they finally own this 1994. <laughs> 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 I'm going to take it home. And it's like, it doesn't run. So. <laughs> hey, but I've held up. I've, I've technically owned the value of the door and the fender and the front yeah, for tire for years. 
40 <laughs> years. Yeah. So the really the big benefit here, and that's exactly the what you were discussing earlier, diversification. So I don't want to I want I don't want to you know nag on illiquid investments because they do have a place in some people's financial plan and their investment strategy. Diversification, the majority of the time when we're investing in illiquid investments, unless it's like individual bonds, they're really kind of um, ambivalent to the financial markets. So the rise and fall of the financial markets and all the volatility, you can also have a portion of your portfolio invested in some of these illiquid components that don't fluctuate in value as much as the stocks do. And that's the perfect example of why you would want to include that in your portfolio. You get better diversification, you get access to asset classes and types of assets that you can't access in the regularly traded financial markets. So now the, the question then is how much of your portfolio do you invest in that? Right. right. Do you put toward that? Right. And, and from what I've understood, the idea is that, you know, not to do none of it, but to think about your overall plan, your goals, what you're trying to achieve, you know, and then thinking there's market volatility. So we're only going to have risk in this market. Um, you know, so we're going to put 20% here, but yeah, you have 5% to do it in, in this Ill illiquid, maybe more even fun things that you can invest in. Um, yeah. and, and maybe that's one category you can make work out with a financial advisor. It's one of the perks of having a financial advisor is they can work with you on your personal values and goals and say, well, okay. Like, you know, if I came to you and said, I want to do this much, you, you know, into a, an illiquid thing that, you know, oh, I really want to own that car door. I really want it. <laughs> and you're like, hold on. That may not make sense because now you're not able to buy these four mutual funds that we're looking at that could really take, you know, help you in 10 years and the rest of your life. And right. you're not, you're not putting as much in your IRA and whatever. Right. Exactly. So it's like the totality right. of it in, in saying, and it's like, it's a really high risk to own that door that you might not be able to sell if, you know, you get married and have a kid and you need something for that kid or something. Exactly. Yeah. This is all about capacity, your capacity to handle this level of risk. And the only way to know that is for the financial advisor that you're working with to understand the entire picture, how much you make, how much you spend, what your current savings are. Do you have your emergency savings provisions in place? I'll give you an example of how this situation could go dramatically wrong if the advisor didn't do the proper interrogation, if you will, at the front end to understand the situation. Let's say we had someone who's relatively young. They've had a hard time accumulating a savings account for emergencies. Maybe they have poor health or something, and so they have to use their savings frequently, but they've been able to accumulate some money in an IRA. Now, fast forward two years, some financial advisor talked them into placing that entire IRA into a real estate investment trust that has a liquidity event in the next five years. But this original person we're talking about has a, another medical emergency and they could have taken a withdrawal from that IRA and avoided the 10% early penalty because it was a medical expense. 
but there's no liquidity in the investment that's in there because now they've tied all of that resource into something that they can't cash out. And so that's kind of like the most extreme case, but it's not out of the question if you're not giving, if your financial advisor is not asking you for all of this other information, it could very easily happen in that scenario. Yeah, that, so, that, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I would say that really the one key takeaway is if you're working with an advisor or an advisor approaches you, the first thing is if the advisor just solicits you to make an investment into something like this and is talking about some outrageous rates of return, I don't know, 13, 15% per year for some investment, right? That sounds amazing. But they don't ever ask you any suitability questions to understand what your financial picture is. You need to run the other way, <laughs> because that's in that from that perspective, they're only looking out for their own interests. They don't give any. They don't have any care for whether or not you have the capacity to handle that kind of investment. Yeah, they're more Wolf of Wall Street than financial. Yeah, advisor. yeah, they're just trying to sell you on this thing that they're interested in. Maybe they're going to get a cut, uh, like a cut or something. Oh, of course company. there's always going to be, I mean, I shouldn't say always, but more than likely there's going to be a commission of some sort tied yeah. into this type of investment. So the, a really simple way you don't have to go out and pay, you know, for a full blown financial plan. Although I highly recommend that if you don't want to do that right now, make sure that whoever you're sitting down with does what's called a financial suitability record. And it's a simple questionnaire. It's required by law for those of us that are licensed advisors and licensed brokers to obtain your income information, your expenses, your tax rate, your emergency savings funding level, um, whether or not you have some upcoming large expenses. All of those things give us a sense of whether or not this type of investment would be appropriate for you. So if nobody's taking that information from you and you're still considering this investment, you're in the wrong situation. So <laughs> just, there's yeah. no other way to put it. You just so, always want to look out. You yeah. just always want to make sure that, that they know and understand your entire picture so that you can avoid some of these pitfalls with illiquid investments. Because again, I don't knock on them. They have a place in some people's plan. It's just knowing the right amount and how to go about doing it and understanding whatever program or asset it is that you're acquiring. Yeah. And this is why it's so important to maybe even shop around for the right financial planner. One that right. fits your suitability, you know, you jibe with, you vibe with, and, you know, looks out for what you want. And don't just go with one who approaches you or who feels good because they make you feel good because they compliment you all the time. Right. Yeah. Like, you got to be careful for the, the, like, I'm a salesperson, so I, but I'm sympathetic to sometimes salespeople can go a little overboard and try right. to manipulate. And so you got to be careful. So, you know, be smart about choosing the right financial planner and yes. find the right one for you. Right. It, yeah. it, maybe Jake and maybe somebody else, like find a good person who gets you and you know, you get him and or her. Yeah. And right. then you feel really comfortable to then. Cause it's on your, it's basically your team member, like a financial planner is a team member. Even if you're, you know, for your home team, even if you don't run exactly. a business, yeah. if you do run a business, it's definitely an important team member, part of your right. ecosystem of people helping you get to where you want to go. Exactly. Yeah. So a lot of people refer to their financial planner as their personal CFO, which yeah. is really kind of appropriate. I mean, you're running the, the, your advisor, your planner should have that level of oversight and 
information into your entire financial picture. Otherwise, they're really not, you're not getting the most benefit from them and they are not really benefiting you if they're, if they don't have the whole picture and they're not really able to make broad ranging suggestions rather than just specific recommendations. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, illiquid investments, that's what it is for you guys. Thank you very much for watching the show. Be sure to tune in. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about streaming wars and be sure to check out the blog at jakes2cents.com. Follow us on social media by searching for at jakes2cents. And remember that you are the expert of your own life. And that's my two cents. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network. Member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Fixed insurance products and services offered through CES Insurance Agency. Actual performance and results will vary. These interviews do not constitute a recommendation as to the suitability of any investment for any person or persons having circumstances similar to those portrayed. Consult a financial advisor regarding your specific circumstances.